Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We are coming to you one final time from the NFL Scouting Combine in downtown Indianapolis before we hit the road to come back to our abodes in Green Bay. And Wes, we've been here. It's been a long week. It's been a busy week. It's been a fun week. I think if there's one major takeaway from what we've seen throughout this entire process and how things are shaping up, it's that when you look at the top of this draft and the Packers are sitting at the number 12 pick, you have players on the defensive front, a group that Brian Gutekunst calls the deepest he's ever seen in a long time in the drafts that he has worked, an offensive line group that is stronger than maybe was perceived earlier on. You throw in the fact that a tight end from Iowa, TJ Hawkinson, being talked about as a possible top 10 pick, and then all the mystery surrounding who's going to draft Kyler Murray, the quarterback out of Oklahoma. It really looks like with the Packers sitting at 12, and I'm not telling Brian Gutekunst what to do here, but with the Packers sitting at 12, there's potentially a really, really good player who could be there for the taking for Green Bay at number 12. They don't necessarily have to move around to to find a, a potential impact star here. Yeah, Mike, you mentioned uh, it's been a long week, and it certainly has been that, but the one thing that stands out to me as we sit here now as, as this thing draws to a close is the fact that in all the years I've covered this now, which I believe is my six or seven combine, I don't know if I can recall a year in which so many guys have sort of distinguished themselves you know, with their 40 times, with their bench press, with their vertical. There just seems like there's been quite a few that have put their names out there. You mentioned Hawkinson uh, from Iowa. Well, then you had Noah Fant come right back and was like, hey, hold my draft projection. I'm going to kind of outshine some some people here as well. Yeah, he beat Hawkinson by two-tenths of a second in the 40-yard dash, and Hawkinson's 471 yeah. for a tight end was nothing to sneeze at. Not at all, especially a guy that is projected as sort of that all-around inline tight end. Then you had DK Metcalf come through with a 4-3-3-40 uh, for a guy that's over 225 pounds, was the fastest 40 time uh, since 2003. So the, the thing, I'm, the point I'm trying to make with all this is that Brian Gutekunst last year, I remember him saying when there was all these quarterbacks they were talking about as potential top 10 picks, and there ended up being four of them, how that bode well for the Packers and where they wanted to pick. And then what happens on draft night? They get to number 14. There's a number of different guys on the board at that spot, and he decides to trade back and get an extra first-round pick while only moving back four spots to probably get the same guy they were looking at in Jair Alexander. So when you look at number 12 this year, there are a number of blue chippers, as you said, and it is destined to be a fact that at least a few of them are going to be there. The question's going to be, though, where do you take them? Because mm-hmm. there, there are so many different guys at so many different positions that could help the Packers. Yeah, and I think that is the question. When you look at the guys at the top of this draft, on the defensive side of the ball, you have your Nick Bosa, your Josh Allen, your Quentin Williams. Those guys aren't going to be there at number 12. But those being your in your top five, top six, six top seven picks, however that shakes out, and then you throw in the, a quarterback or maybe two that get taken up there, it's just going to keep pushing players down there. Now, the other thing that works in, to the Packers' advantage is that when you look at where they are at edge rusher, the need that there is on the offensive line, the need that there is at tight end, the it, it doesn't matter necessarily what position that player is going to play because I think the Packers are going to have their pick of some real top-quality guys at 
a key position of need as yep. they head into 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And then if there's enough of them, maybe you move back again. Who knows? <laughs> Get a 2020 draft pick. But the the biggest thing that, I, that was my takeaway from all this so far, and, and it was kind of I did a story looking at some of those pass rushers, uh, the guys that could be available. So many years, Michael, these last few years, it seems like I remember when Ryan Ramchick, you remember him from Wisconsin, was yeah, at the podium. offensive tackle. And they were talking, and, and I think you know Atlanta ended up taking him, but they were that, that year they were like, hey, this might be the only New, off- New Orleans. New Orleans, actually. pardon yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, they ended up taking him, and people were saying, "Hey, this might be the only offensive lineman worth taking in the first round that year." In how many years? Like last year, we were, we had Marcus Davenport here, and people were saying, "Ah, this this might be the guy that fits for the Packers, but maybe it's a stretch." This year, it really isn't the case, and and you look at some of these guys now in their forty times. Brian Burns, who a lot of the people that I was looking at were saying, "Hey, this guy could end up being an end of the first round type guy, maybe into the second. Well, he runs a four five six. Montez. <laughs> Wet before we came down here runs a 4-4-2. These are guys at 255, 260 pounds running ridiculous times in the 40. It's not everything, but as Larry was McCarron was talking about, mm. if you're able to disengage, the ability to close to the quarterback and utilize your advantages there, it's going to give the Packers a lot to consider, specifically at pass rusher. And then as you mentioned with some of those tight ends as well, it's been a long time since the Packers took a tight end in the first round, but there's a couple at either 12 or 30 that may, might make them think about it. Yeah, well, and those two guys, we've mentioned them already, Iowa's TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, two tight ends from the same school. Now, it's pretty rare that two tight ends would go in the first round of the draft. There were actually three that were drafted in the first round just a couple of years ago, but that's the only time you've had multiple first-round right. tight ends in uh, you know really this century, I believe. It's never happened before that you've had two first-round tight ends from the same school, but it certainly looks like that could be the case in this draft with Hawkinson and Fant. Now, I don't want to oversimplify things too much, but everything you've read is that Hawkinson is the immediate plug-and-play instant starter in the NFL, and that's why he's being talked about as a potential top-10 pick in this draft. Because of the athleticism and as we mentioned, the 40 time, a 4-5-1 from Noah Fan as opposed to the 4-7-1 from Hawkinson, the long-term upside, so to speak, of Fan is, also, is, is very attractive as well. Now, what I wonder about is with the 4-5-1 from strictly the Packers situation, if you were hoping that Noah Fant maybe was going to fall all the way to number 30 yeah. at the bottom of the first round, that might not happen anymore, not not with not with the testing numbers that he's put up here in Indy. Yeah, and you look at that list of guys that have run in the four fives for tight ends over the years, those guys didn't last very long. No. Now, mm-hmm. they weren't all just immediate, you know, go-to-a-team-and-dominate type players. I think even a guy like Jared Cook, who was one of them, took time for him to get immersed in the NFL game. And that's one of the things I think that makes Hawkinson such an intriguing prospect because it is really difficult. You saw it with Evan Ingram, but for the most part, it's tough for a a rookie to come in the NFL and just dominate and just be a guy that's going to have 600 yards and 10 touchdown catches. It just doesn't happen at that position. And be the reliable blocker that a coach wants in the running game, which is is what they're talking about with these two Iowa prospects. And and Alabama's Irv Smith is probably the the three of those top three tight ends. Yeah, and his dad played in the league at that position, was a former first-round pick out of Notre Dame and he was talking about uh, that as well and he mentioned a funny little story about how some of those same scouts that scouted his dad were talking to him now in Indianapolis 26 years later so those those two positions to me are the most intriguing certainly there's others that the Packers could consider Um, you know do you look at maybe adding another receiver you know do you look at potentially finding another offensive 
linemen that could help you. This draft, if for nothing, no other reason, I think is really going to be good for depth in being able to maximize the value of those picks. Yeah, the interesting thing too, we in some of our other videos, Larry McCarron talked about that Iowa pipeline yeah. to uh, to Green Bay, and when you look at it, going all the way back to Aaron Campman in the early 2000s, yeah. and then you have you've drafted Brian Balaga, Mike Daniels, Micah Hyde, Josh Jackson last year. Um, there's never been a, a, a character issue, any of those kinds of things. And when you look at these two tight ends out of Iowa, they pride themselves right now on on the fact that they are the the dual tight end that NFL teams are looking for. They can they can split out wide, run the routes and catch passes. They can also line up in line and block and be a big part of the running game. And that's why they're being talked about as highly as they are. Yeah, and the Packers have kind of played around with those positions the last few years. Certainly, you look at Jared Cook. I think in terms of what Mike McCarthy's offense was, he's the one that has fit the best, maybe even arguably better than when Jermichael Finley was in his prime, just based on what he could do on the perimeter, but also come inside and make an impact uh, as an inline guy. Uh, Mar you know, Martellus Bennett really didn't work as an inline guy. Uh, there just, you know, he, there was a drops issue there, and the blocking was good, but he just didn't seem like he fit the offense. And then last year, I think Jimmy Graham showed some really significant signs of being a playmaker in this offense. But between the knee injury he suffered in training yeah. camp, and then also breaking the thumb in Seattle, uh, held him back. Now the the thing that I like about this with Brian Gutekunst and, and Matt LaFleur both sounding like they're planning to have Jimmy Graham in this offense is if you do go with the tight end, whether or not it is the first round or not, if you do finally draft one, you have time to be able to mold that individual, to have them work with Jimmy Graham. And I keep going back to what Robert Tanyan said last yes. year about how valuable it was to be in the room with him and how much Absolutely. that helped him. I mean, you take a, a legit tight end prospect as a rookie and allow them to work in a room with Jimmy Graham, I think only good things are going to happen. Yeah, and as you mentioned before, too, the Packers uh, not being talked about as much as in the wide receiver or the running back market, but certainly going into this draft with 10 picks, six picks in the first four rounds, the opportunity is going to be there to to find no, more of those uh, those skill position players that, uh, that maybe Matt LaFleur has his eye on in terms of certain skill sets, certain things that he wants to add to the mix on the offensive side of the ball that maybe aren't there just yet. And the other thing that really intrigues me too about this is, you know, Ted Thompson, as much as people want to you know make about you know him kind of they, they think he sat on his hands when it came to trades and things like that he was a very active trader but you never could really predict it yeah he just always seemed to do it when you least expected it particularly on draft day Brian Gutekunst learned from that and and I think you're seeing a blend of his style with how he wants to run this thing. He got 10 draft picks this year, which is pretty impressive considering there won't be any compensatory picks yeah. this year for yeah. the first time since, what, 2009? Yeah, three extra picks all from trades. All from trades. Yeah. So to, to be able to, you know, take those now, I mean, basically they cashed in the, the Ha Ha Clinton Dicks maneuver uh, early and they end up getting a fourth rounder out of it uh, I, I just think there there's so many there's so much versatility that Gutekunst is going to be able to draw upon that it gives you a lot of excitement going into this thing do you move up in the first round do you move back and get more uh, capital and I, I think those are the type of moves in the long run that are going to make this team better. Well, this is the this is an interesting point because uh, when I wrote a story uh, earlier in the week on where the Packers are sitting in the draft, I've talked a lot about the three picks in the top 44 and how neither Ron Wolf nor Ted Thompson ever took three players in the top 44 of a draft. But Ted Thompson did have the opportunity to do that. Right. In 2006, he actually had three picks in the top 37, the extra pick, 
coming from the Javon Walker trade. But what did Ted Thompson do? He ended up taking both of those high second-round picks in the 30s, trading back to accumulate more picks. But then in that second round, after he had already taken A.J. Hawk in the first round, he got Darren College and Greg Jennings. Well, look at those top three guys, Hawk, College, and Jennings, all starters, all key players on a Super Bowl championship team a handful of years later. When you look at Ted Thompson coming to Green Bay in 2005, Mike McCarthy following him from 2006, there are definite signs of a five-year plan that took that team from rebuilding mode, sped that up, got them into an NFC Championship game two years after they won four games, and three years after that NFC Championship game, found themselves in a Super Bowl. Right. Brian Gutekunst, I, I think, and in, in Matt LaFleur talked about this in the luncheon that we had. They have a quarterback, much like the Packers did back in 2005 and 2006 with Brett Favre. They have receivers. They have an left tackle, much like they had with Chad with Clifton. Chad Clifton, yep. I think when so many people ask about, you know, we get this all the time in Insider Inbox, you know, how soon can we expect the Packers to compete? Sure. They are one free agent class. They are one solid draft class away from being right back in this thing. And I I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, the way this league is built and developed, that's one of the biggest takeaways I took from Ted Thompson is that it doesn't take that long to renovate a program. And that's the situation that Brian Gutekunst finds himself in right now. Yeah, and I think the model that we, as we've talked about before, is the New Orleans Saints. They had three consecutive seven and nine seasons with a Hall of Fame quarterback right. in Drew Brees, but they had a home run draft that brought them Marshawn Lattimore, that brought them Alvin Kamara. And then here, the last two years, the New Orleans Saints have been right on the brink of the Super Bowl. and as I would argue they should have, and many would. They should have been in the Super Bowl this past season. But I want to turn back to the defensive side of the ball here for the Packers as we go into this draft. You wrote a story on our website about the edge rushers, and it's a deep group of edge rushers here. I mentioned earlier the pass rushers like Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Quinn and Williams on the defensive line, they won't be there when the when the Packers are on the clock at 12. Other defensive front players, big-time guys, Ed Oliver from Houston, Rashawn Gary from Michigan, another yeah. big guy who ran a blazing 40-time, by the way. Um, For 277 pounds, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. So when you look at you look at maybe who might be there at number 12 that the Packers could get to rush the passer, you wrote about a few options. Ja'Kai Polite, I want to make sure I say that correctly, from Florida. Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, although now who knows if he's actually going to uh, potentially be there at 12. Cleland Farrell from Clemson is an option. And you mentioned Brian Burns from Florida State, who maybe you'd be thinking about more at the number 30 pick at the end of the first round. But again, his stock seems to be rising as well. But a lot of options at edge rusher here that uh, the Packers are certainly looking at. Yeah, exactly, and it's funny, too, because as you mentioned, Burns was a guy that was looking at it. He was going to be the end of the first round. Well, he shows up at the combine, he puts on 21 pounds, and he <laughs> runs a 4.56. I mean, right. uh, that's uh, that's quite the change in terms of a, a, you know, a couple months stretch. It, it's going to be an intriguing class here because here, the, the fact of the matter is Clay Matthews is an unrestricted free agent. Packers have said only positive things about him, but you don't know how this free agent process is going to go. There's questions out there about Nick Perry. The reality is beyond that, you have Kyler Fackrell, who had a great 10-sack season, looks like he's going to be a good part of this rotation for years to come, and then Reggie Gilbert. I think that it's a position that you could use help at. I think there's a guy that you could add into that rotation and find a way to make an impact because it reminds me a lot of 2009. Yes, you had Aaron Campman. He was making a change in terms of the defense. Right, but right. they were able to find that pass rusher for the future, and it changed the course of the Packers' defense and, honestly, the franchise for the next few seasons and, and getting Clay Matthews. I think they're in a very similar spot right now. 
And if they want to go that route, Michael, there are probably a dozen guys, whether it's defensive line, outside linebackers, whatever you want to call them, right. there are a dozen guys from that defensive front that are going to go in the first round. And as we said, whether it's at 12 or 30, they're going to have some interesting decisions to make. Yeah, no question about it. Well, with that, we are going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. And for our on-location work here at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, thanks so much for joining us and for tuning in. For Wes, I'm Mike. We'll see you next time.